Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You're listening to this week's excerpt from the Dear Prudence podcast. To get the full-length members-only version every week, join Slate Plus at slate.com slash prudipod. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to The Dear Prudence Show. Once again, and as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me this week in the studio is Jane McGonagall, the inventor of Super Better, a mobile game that helps people recover faster from depression, anxiety, and traumatic brain injury. Super Better is also the name of her book. Jane, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, Thank you also. I should tell our listeners that Jane has given me a gift today. And so, frankly, you should all know that all of my advice today is going to be clouded by the fact (laughs) that I've received a gift. Um, It is a spoon. It is a spoon engraved with my peanut butter spoon because Mm -hmm. um, she has apparently listened to enough episodes (laughs) to know about my semi-regular habit of making a meal out of peanut butter in the car. And now I have a fancy engraved spoon to do something decidedly not fancy with. Ah, well, and yes, this could be our first piece of advice to listeners, which is I discovered in the last year that you can get spoons engraved with anything, and it makes very good gifts for people. We live in a (laughs) golden age of engraving. I think that is almost certainly true, Um, and it has helped me realize that the only thing now that's keeping me from, like, total domestic perfection is getting more bowls. I only own two. I own a million plates, um, roughly 700,000 coffee cups. Um, and two bowls, which is not enough, especially because I only like one of them. That would be an easy New Year's resolution. I, I shouldn't even wait for January. I should go buy <laughs> bowls today. I have the money. I have the wherewithal. I have the cupboard space. No, I think save it for 2019 so that you can start the year successfully. <laughs> okay. So just really like live with the bowl resentment yeah. for the next couple of months because I really mm. hate one of my bowls. Ooh. It sucks. Ooh. It's bad. The Ooh. other one's so good. And then I use it. And it gets dirty, and then I get mad at the other one for being available. Okay, I see that. It's a that's a, a problem. There's probably a lot going on there. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm bringing a lot of emotional energy to my bowl situation. Um, but thank you so much for um, being willing to come on the show and tackle a bunch of kind of intense questions this week. Mm-hmm. Very intense. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. gonna bring. We're gonna. We're going to bring our best wisdom. Yeah, we're going to do our best. I don't mm-hmm. know that there's anyone here that I feel comfortable saying we are going to fix their problem. No. Well, one. One, one. I'm fixing a problem today. That's right. 100% guaranteed okay. life-altering cure for what plagues this writer. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> and that's actually our first letter. And so um, I'm glad that we're going to start high and then fail after that. Uh, but yeah, go ahead. Please read that letter. Sure. The subject is work talk. Dear Prudence, my wife and I both have professional jobs, though hers is quite a bit more challenging and time-consuming than mine. When I leave for work, I rarely think about it at all. Oh, no, when I leave work, I rarely think about it at all and would be more than happy most days not to discuss anything at all about my workday with my wife as it is boring, certainly to me, and I would think to her as well. My wife likes to relate the details of her workday at length. She finds it offensive if I do not actively inquire into her work each day. Though I don't mind hearing an interesting work-related story, the truth is that I would prefer not to be subjected to the majority of work-related discussion she shares with me, which often ends up being the bulk of what we talk about over dinner. I often end up zoning out. Though we have discussed this matter in the past, we don't seem to agree. Her view is that this is an important part of her life, and she wants to share it with me. Mine is that extended work-related discussion involving people I don't know and details I don't understand is wearying, and in some settings, it is rude. She also likes to discuss her work in social gatherings. 
I know, of course, that work is an important part of life, and her identity is considerably more wrapped up in her work than mine is. I don't want her to think that I don't want to hear about her life, but the idea of hearing detailed recitations of what happened in her office each day for years to come sounds like a heavy lift. Is there some option other than resigning myself to this? Apparently, the the answer to that question is yes, and you know it, so do it. Okay, so I happen to know the number one way to predict whether a marriage will end in divorce or not. Wow. Uh, It's something I research as part of trying to come up with new habits to teach people to be happier and healthier. And Mm -hmm. it turns out research at University of Pennsylvania and then replicated at Yale and Harvard and basically everywhere they study healthy relationships has found that the number one predictor of whether you will stay married or get a divorce is whether you are an active, constructive responder when your spouse tries to tell you about their day. Would you like to know what that means? <laughs> yes, yes, very much, please. <laughs> so active, constructive responding means when somebody wants to talk about something that has happened to them, you actively ask them questions about it to draw out more details, exactly the kind of details that this letter writer finds so wearying. If somebody has a problem, you say, well, how do you feel about that? Or just even just simple phrases like, tell me more about that, or I want to know more about that. But this letter writer doesn't want to know more. Well... I'm just saying the power is now in this letter writer's hands because the number one predictor of people being unhappy in marriages and ending them is spouses who regularly refuse to engage in this type of conversation. So really, I think the letter writer might want to just think of it like a skill. He could become a super duper awesome, good at being a husband, husband. And spend half of dinner doing the thing that is the number one predictor of a successful marriage if that is a goal for him. Yeah, I, I do think where where I see I, there's the parts of that that I do agree with, which is that the strategy that you have right now, letter writer, which is do it as much as your wife wants to, but do a bad job. Mm-hmm. That's a ba- you know, that's <laughs> yes. that's not working for either one of you, because yeah. I imagine she can tell when you are zoning out and mm-hmm. she resents it mm-hmm. um, and you don't enjoy zoning out as your, you know, life partner uh, mm-hmm. talks about something that you don't care about. So this strategy is bad. Yes, it's not working. Nobody's happy. It's all all bad all around. Yes. So the the I think two things within your power. One is you can set limits to how much you two talk mm-hmm. about work mm-hmm. um, and then make a conscious decision when you talk about work um, to not do a half-assed job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe if you're super engaged, she'll get it all out of her system a lot faster. You don't. You look skeptical. Well, I see some people just will take an inch and go a mile. Because I, I think the first thing that needs to happen is the conversation about how much they talk about work. Like, just because I think if if his approach were just to suddenly listen really actively, she would not think, oh, now I should scale back. She would think, this is great. Now we're finally on the same page. Mm. So I think the first thing that needs to happen um, is the conversation about how much it goes on. And Mm -hmm. I think it's really fair to say if, you know, every day you want all of dinner to be talking about work and you want to talk about it at parties and you Mm -hmm. want to talk about it sometimes beyond dinner um, uh, to just say, I I, got to have limits on this one. I think that's going to be really helpful. But then to also say, um, when we talk about it, I also want to be engaged. I do want to pay attention. I, 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 I can see that it means a lot to you. And even if it doesn't mean a lot to me, part of the job of being married is saying, sometimes we will do things that I don't care about very much. Yeah. And I can either do it resentfully and with a spirit of annoyance, or I can say, this is part of why I've chosen to spend my life with another human being and not just, mm-hmm. like, live alone <laughs> in my, like, expansive apartment, like, making myself steaks and listening to records that I like. Yeah. So, well, you know, and I think you could certainly have, like, Friday free-from-work dinners and, you know, special times when you just chill and relax. But I can't help but think, you know, I heard an interview with Jay Leno a number of years ago after his dad had died. All right. And he said the thing that was hardest for him about it was that, he felt like his whole life was having these experiences that were like chips you would win in a casino, but he cashed them in with his dad. It was telling his dad about what he'd experienced that made it feel like all of these experiences collected actually meant something. And that was what he felt the most grief over, was not having someone to cash his chips in with. And I think this letter writer's wife, you know, she's going out to work, 
maybe has a stressful job, maybe does work that's really meaningful to her. Um, she's trying to cash in some chips. And I, you know, it sounds like you have a very good practical approach to this. And I also just have kind of a soft spot for somebody who it it's it sounds like in particular it matters to her that her husband hears and sees a side of her. And, you know, the party stuff aside, I think um, I think it maybe it's sweet that she wants to cash this in. And I would encourage him to think of himself as like this. It's an amazing gift that you, it is an amazing gift you give to someone when you care about what happened to them each day. Yeah. And I think one thing that's going to be helpful is uh, to remember that uh, the way that your wife is approaching is is not the same way that you are. Right. Like you don't really care about your job when you're not working. Mm-hmm. So that's why you don't talk about work. That makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. Um, and it's you already know that it's different for your wife. But just remind yourself, like when your wife is telling you about her job, it's because she likes her job mm-hmm. and it's an important part of who she is. So mm-hmm. she's not telling you about something that she doesn't really care about. She's telling you about something that she cares about. Um, and work is not the same thing to everyone. So just because you don't care very much about your job and, you know, maybe that works great for you. And maybe part of the underlying discomfort here is that you would perhaps like a job that you cared about more than you do. And if that's oh. the case, look into that. Um, but yeah, basically when your wife is telling you about work, it's not because she enjoys boring you. It's because this really matters to her. Um, so certainly I think, you know, if you guys have been talking about it for half an hour at dinner to say, babe, I love you. I'm reaching the end of how much I want to talk about work. Can we (laughs) call it a day on this? That's really fair. Um, and your, I think your wife should uh, listen to that. I think you should be, feel comfortable um, advocating for that, talking about something else. Um, How great that they're having dinner together and having conversations this frequently. Yeah. I mean, that is also not a trivial thing. I mean, it sounds like they're doing pretty good yeah. in that sense. Yeah. And I think, you know, do it in the moment. Like, you know, you don't. it doesn't always have to be a big picture conversation where like we're going to agree right now how many hours a week we right. spend discussing your job. <laughs> no. Um, but, to, you know, yeah, do ask those questions. Do listen to those stories and then say, I'd love to talk about movies or I'd love to talk about our family or I'd love to talk about what we want to do this weekend or something else. Yeah. Have a burning question or a burning issue and then then just burn with the equal intensity and you may be able to redirect conversation. Yeah. Um, and f- give yourself permission, like when you have done some of that to say like, um, I, I, re- I really want to talk about something else now. Like that is also OK. So um, if you listen well during those moments, like get in that good 20 minutes or half an hour every now and again. Um, and then when it when you're ready to talk about something else, you know, have that back and forth. And I don't think this is going to be something that's going to go away in the next week or two. Um, and certainly if if she is like visibly boring other people at parties by being like, and then Renata in HR said the following and people are just like, boy, this is dull. You know, that's another topic of conversation. But I, I think the really important thing is the two of you and, and yeah. figuring out how much of this has to do with your own feelings about your work. How much of this has to do with uh, a feeling of like, does your wife listen to you in turn? Are there things you want to talk about um, as much as she wants to talk about yes. this? Um, does it feel like she hears you when you say like, I, I'm, I'm just tapped out of hearing about today at work? Hmm. So I, I this is interesting. I feel like you're really on the side of proactively trying to limit the conversation. And I will just I feel like you could run an experiment where for one week. Just be as active constructor or responder as you can and see if you like it better. Is Maybe it actually is more interesting for you to hear about this stuff mm-hmm. if you are actively engaged with the conversation. And maybe she's so happy you actually decide you don't mind being bored for half an hour yeah. a night. Yeah. And, you know, the difference between hearing like a detailed recitation of like, and then like we printed something out on this color paper, like yeah. that's one thing. Um, but if she's trying to tell you about like uh, something that she achieved that she's really proud of yeah. Oh, yeah. or a way that she solved a problem with yeah. somebody that had been like a thorn in her side all week. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, so my husband comes home all the time and tells me like, I thought of a really clever thing today. And it's not that the thing matters. It's not like I'm so interested in the thing. Mm-hmm. But I like I want to reflect back to my husband that, oh, I see you are a clever person. Yeah. I s- totally see that. I I love hearing about my partner's work. Like their work is fascinating. And um, it's it's 
sometimes they talk about people that I don't know or <laughs> there's stories or, or backstories or histories there that I'm not familiar with. I'm not always like immediately caught up to speed. And certainly if 100 percent of our conversations were about that, I would not be so happy. But no. <laughs> I often really enjoy hearing stories that I'm not super familiar with because that's, again, to me, that's an upside of being in a relationship is getting to hear about somebody else's world. Yeah. Um, but if you don't feel like your wife is is equally invested in listening to you, then that's that's the key. For. That's the key. Mm-hmm. Make sure it's not a one way. Yeah. Because it'll be hard, too, if you're like, let's stop talking about work. And she's like, all right, what do you want to talk about? And you're like, <laughs> nothing. Want to watch TV? <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so. I like, have a burning issue that you want to talk about that may do the job of redirecting. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, uh, good luck. I think this will be a number of conversations rather than just one. Um, I think that there are things that you can reasonably ask for, limits you can absolutely set. And then also when you are hearing about her day, ways that you can um, act like a really good listener that may change the orientation of your heart towards that conversation. Like it doesn't always work to act one way and hope that your feelings catch up. Right. But I do think when it comes to listening, um, as long as you know, this is not going to be something you have to do exhaustively every single day. to ask those questions and to really listen mm-hmm. um, makes listening more fun. Yes. It's an experiment. The letter writers should write back and say how it goes. Yeah. I- hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I I hope that they do. So continuing the theme of uh, the complications of intimacy, Mm -hmm. uh, the subject letter or the subject line of this next letter is intimacy is complicated. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dear Prudence, I've been with my partner, Charlie, for two years. They have been two exquisitely blissfully happy years. He's been my most successful and healthy relationship after a string of abusive ones. Charlie is kind and caring almost to a fault. He puts me before everything else. He's funny, intelligent, thoughtful, and endlessly giving. We share the same opinions, have the same interests. We do everything together. We are similar in all but one way, our libidos. Charlie would be happiest if we were having sex a few times a week. I have almost no libido. I would be fine with just a few times a year. I rarely feel the urge even on my own. I'm into sex once we get started, but starting sex is really hard. I'm a busy grad student, so when Charlie tries to initiate, I usually feel like I should be studying or sleeping instead. Sometimes I feel objectified and turned off by the mere request, even though I know that's not reasonable. This is complicated by my having vaginismus, a cardiac condition, and a rare allergy. Insertion is painful. I bleed every time, no matter what I do. Getting too active makes my chest hurt, and I am quite literally allergic to semen. We have sex maybe every few months. I feel like I'm neglecting Charlie physically and emotionally. We kiss and cuddle daily. I've asked if he wants to seek sexual fulfillment elsewhere, and he says no, and I don't really want him to. He's been patient and understanding, but he said that he wishes we had sex more frequently. What do I do? Am I asexual? I do value the emotional connection sex gives me with Charlie. I love him so much, and I'm excited to spend the rest of our lives together, but I don't want him to be disappointed in the sex life portion for the rest of our lives. So there's a lot here. There's so much. I think the two things that I wanted to point out before we get into the sort of possible strategies that this person can have. um, One is the question of, am I asexual? Um, And that is a question that only you can writer, uh, only you can answer, letter writer. Um, I feel like part of the reason you ask that question is, do I have a good enough reason for not wanting to have sex very often? And the implication is sort of, the reasons that I have just lift, listed don't feel legitimate or like I feel like they make me a burden or they make me difficult. So all I'll say to that is whether or not that is a label that you ever find useful, the things that you have talked about are real. They are serious. Um, they sound distressing. They sound physically painful. They are very, very good reasons to not have sex. Yes. And just because Charlie is a good person who does not abuse you and who loves you um, and who enjoys sex more often um, does not mean that you are doing anything wrong or being withholding or cold or hurting him. Um, you live in the body that you live in. You have some 
you know, serious physical conditions that you are dealing with. Um, and they are legitimate and they matter. And and you have every right. Um, and, and I think probably Charlie would tell you the same thing um, uh, to not just like, you know, walk it off or like power through it or like you don't have good enough reasons for turning down sex with a great guy. You do. So that is I, I just if that label is useful to you, that's amazing. Um, if it doesn't feel true to you, and part of the reason you're asking that question is because you feel like if I had that identity, then I would have a good reason. But unless I do, I don't. You have good enough reasons. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, you say he's kind and caring almost to a fault. He's endlessly giving. A lot of that's really great. Um, and it also sounds like one of the ways in which that could maybe become a little dysfunctional is this um, – uh, idea that you seem to have and maybe Charlie shares, which is that Charlie is the good partner mm. who gives everything and you are the person with conditions and requirements. Ooh. And because Charlie doesn't have any of those, or at least it doesn't seem to be something that you two discuss, um, Charlie's like built up a lot of credit mm-hmm. and you're running up a lot of debits. Ooh. And I just think that that can be a really dangerous mindset to get into of I owe Charlie something. I'm too difficult for Charlie. Yep. Um, Charlie knows you. Charlie knows what you're working with. Charlie knows what's difficult for you. Um, Obviously, uh, something like mismatched libidos is really, really hard to deal with. I'm not saying that you're going to be able to solve this tomorrow, but I I, I just want to encourage both of you not to think of this relationship as one where Charlie is a saint who has rescued you. Yes. Charlie is your partner. Um, And that means that whatever you're dealing with around intimacy, sex, time management, sleepiness, um, health conditions um you know that's you that's that's and and, and it, it, that's if, if if this were charlie i think you would feel a lot of love and compassion and you would want to be there for him even if sometimes you were like i really wish i could have sex um and that does not mean that um you're hurting him um it, it just means you guys are dealing with some difficult um uh complications does that, does that make sense? Oh, oh, my God. Every word of that made perfect sense. And I think, you know, that's such an important thing to remember that this is not a problem that's going to be solved by guilt or recrimination or, you know, self-hate, essentially, saying there's something, you know, wrong with me that um, I need to feel bad about. Feeling bad is not going to improve anything, really. Um, you know, it... it I was a grad student once, and, you know, when I was in grad school, I prioritized solving the problem of how do I graduate and actually earn my degree over solving other problems. And it even just occurs to me that, you know, this this is, a, this is something she's going to be um, trying to, to find the best ways to live her life, probably her whole life with Charlie or with another partner that these it sounds like these are these are issues or or challenges that she will have a long time hopefully to experiment and explore different treatments different approaches different activities that it doesn't have to be solved you know now or today mm-hmm. um and it's okay to I mean I would even say it's okay to just kind of be present and show up for the goals that are most urgent for her. And if fixing, you know, and fixing, you know, feeling better about their sex life is not the most urgent challenge in front of her, I would also say that's okay, mm-hmm. too. And there's no reason to feel guilty about, you know, well, uh, I feel like I should be studying or sleeping because my self-care really matters to me to get out of this program and set myself up for success for the rest of my life. Yeah. That's okay, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then there's, you know, I don't, it, it sounds like she is in a especially challenging situation. You would normally, you would, someone would say, well, you know, if you can't do penis and vagina, then do sure. oral. And, and then, but I can't because this semen gives me an asthma attack. I need my inhaler. Mm-hmm. I mean, the kind of, the sort of, um, like, patience and creativity that is going to go into her feeling good about what she chooses to engage with is, uh, it's just, it's not, uh, it's, I, I just want to say she doesn't have to like rush through and decide. Right. And I don't want to say the goal for you needs to be making sure 
that Charlie gets enough sex. Obviously, in a relationship, you care about how your partner feels, um, and that includes sex. So, of course, you should be, you know, talking to one another, asking questions, trying different things. But that does not mean that it is your job to get Charlie up to a certain number. Um, and otherwise you're doing a bad job. And so like just that line, you know, sometimes I feel objectified simply by the request, even though I know that's not reasonable. I, that that worries me. Like it doesn't sound like that's coming from Charlie. It sounds like that's coming from the letter writer of like, because I don't have sex with Charlie as often as Charlie would like to, if I want to say no, I shouldn't mm-hmm. because it's not reasonable. And I, I, again, I just think that's a real dangerous path to go down. Again, it doesn't sound like Charlie is objectifying you. But if Charlie suggests sex and you're like, man, I don't want to. I feel turned off by the very request. To respond to that in yourself by saying, I'm being unreasonable, I should just grit my teeth and go along with it. That is a recipe for alienation, mm-hmm. resentment, mm-hmm. and wanting to say no more and more again in the future. And again, just just ask yourself, like, would I want Charlie to have sex with me if he were feeling objectified, exhausted, turned off, anxious, and didn't really want to? Mm-hmm. I, I think you know, letter writer, that you would not want to have sex with him on those terms. Mm-hmm. And so be as kind to yourself um, Uh, as you would be to him in that situation. Yes. And he can advocate for himself. You know, he he can express the degree to which he's cool with this and patient with this or forever cool with it. I mean, it's I I don't think you have to be both your advocate and his advocate Mm -hmm. at the same time all the time. Um, He'll I you know, he, he will he will also make decisions about you know if he if he thinks you need to solve this problem in a different way than you're currently approaching it be you know beyond what what is working you can ask him to just be his own advocate the same way that you are for yourself remind him you're doing such a good job of letting me know and uh, i want you to be open and honest about uh, what you're thinking so we can continue to evaluate this because there are ways to um address low libido if you want to increase it and mm-hmm. if you don't then you then don't. there are ways to talk about how are we going to you know i think at this point charlie knows that um sex every couple of months is probably going to be uh the the way going forward in a relationship he said that he wants to stay with you yeah. um he does not want to sleep with other people mm-hmm. you know those things about him um, and so I think your only job here needs to be to just periodically check in. You you guys kiss and cuddle regularly. Um, you do have physical intimacy. Um, you don't need to, like, ask every day, like, are you okay? Yeah, um, right. But to just, like, check in. And, you know, uh, there may be ways in which he's like, yes, I would enjoy sex more. But um, I only want to have sex with you when you're feeling super jazzed about it. Um, And I really enjoy the intimacy we have. I really enjoy monogamy. I, you know, I'm not going to die of not getting it wetness. Um, That will not kill me. And it does not feel so pressingly important to me that I would want to end our relationship. And if that's what's going on, um, then I think, you know, you can have conversations about like, are there ways in which, um, you know, are you comfortable, like, being around him when he's getting off that does not necessarily involve mm-hmm. you doing anything? Yeah. Like, would that feel deeply uncomfortable to you? Would that feel like, oh, great, I can kind of read my book and, like, affectionately, like, have an arm around him um, while he, like, gets off and, like, that's fabulous and fun and I don't have to, like, you know, worry about getting my semen allergy activated. Um, I'm not physically going through anything. My heart rate's not up, but mm-hmm. I'm, like, a loving presence yes. nearby yes. and I'm incorporate like... Um, you know, just like having yep. like being present, but not necessarily facilitating it. Like that's a form of intimacy that might feel great. It also might not like you might be like, nope, I'd hate that. In which case, gift of clarity, like it might mm-hmm. be difficult, but at least you would know. So I, I think that's just something you guys are going to have to keep talking about. And the thing that's most important for you is not to convince yourself that you need to do things you hate or that hurt right, right. in order to keep him happy. And a trust that he will be honest with you about what he wants. And that if you guys have a harder conversation down the road where he's like, I actually do want to sleep with people a lot more, that you guys will have to have that conversation honestly between the two of you. Yes. Um, but yeah, basically my biggest answer would be don't do things that hurt you mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you feel guilty. And don't convince yourself that Charlie deserves um, something that you don't or can't offer him just because he's a good person. 
it's hard. It is hard, but I'm I'm optimistic. She's aware of what's going on. He's there for her. Yep. Yeah, and all the frankly, the only problem so far, I, I think, is a lot of um, guilt on the letter yes. writer's part. It's not like Charlie's like, I'm miserable, yes. this sucks. Charlie has just said, yeah, I do wish that we had sex more. Yeah. But it also sounds like you guys are really happy. Yeah, and maybe it's like, maybe that's a problem she wants to solve down the line. Maybe she will also wish that they had sex more down the line, and then they can work creatively and and expand the definition of sex and, and all yeah. the things that you suggested. Um, that may, that time may come too, and, and, that's okay too. I mean, it, basically, I really liked your uh, encouragement that you know she doesn't have to take on a label of asexuality, which might feel like it would be something that would be true for her for a long time, for mm-hmm. after grad school, for her whole life. Um, Phases but, are great. If yeah. something lasts a lifetime, that's wonderful. If something works for you for a little while and then later that changes, that's fabulous too. It does not invalidate yeah. anything you've experienced. Um, frankly, I think all you need to own right now is just that you know you have almost no libido. Um, you would like to have sex a couple of times a year. Um, you want to be able to say no to sex, even if it's rare. Um, and you want to have room to talk about that. And Charlie knows that about you. And so that's it. And, and it, that might not work for other people, but that's what's going on with the two of you. So don't worry about what another couple might do yeah. or whether or not this is enough sex for you two to be a happy couple. Um, it's only about how you two are doing. Yeah. Do not hold yourself to any standard. Yeah. No. That's just going to, you know, it, it's hard because it's so different for every couple. But I will often hear from people who feel this sense of if I'm in a romantic relationship with somebody, I owe them a certain, like, I don't know what the number is, but it's a certain number of times a week or a month mm-hmm. that I have to do it, mm-hmm. even if I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a terrible way to treat yourself. Yes. Um Yes. And, yeah. Um, and I, I just do not believe that that's what Charlie wants from you is for you to like grit your teeth and suffer silently. No. Um, so I, I I have a lot of hope for you two. I don't know exactly what the future is going to look like, but it's going to involve a lot of talking um, and a lot of being kind to yourself. All right. Last letter. I think the subject of this email is also a kind of a clue. So the subject is decency. Dear Prudence, to our horror, our adult daughter has had an affair with our long-term neighbor and friend. He is married with teenage children. My daughter used to babysit them. It is like there's a stranger in my daughter's place. She is proud of her actions and flaunts her relationship whenever she can. She openly kisses him on the street in front of his wife and children. She complains about people being judgmental and unreasonable and yells at us if her father and I express any discomfort over her actions. Her sisters are no longer speaking to her. My oldest broke her engagement when her fiancé had an affair with a friend and thinks her sister is, quote, disgusting. My youngest asked our neighbor exactly when he decided the girl he watched grow up was fuckable. The fight almost got physical. My daughter lives with us and only has a part-time job. It sickens me to let for this affair to continue under our roof. But I'm terrified if we push too hard, our daughter will dissipate into thin air. We are being shunned and gossiped about at our church and in our community. What can we do? My first question here is how adult is she? Yes. Because... So much rides on that. Um, you say that, again, sometimes people have kids with, like, big, big age gaps, but it sounds like your youngest child is living at home, like, as a minor, um, and your daughter used to babysit the kids. The kids are only teenagers now, so it sounds like maybe it was not that long ago that she was babysitting. Like, is she 19? Because it's one thing if your daughter is 30, yeah. And this is happening. But it it sounds like she's a very young adult and she has grown up next door to this man um, and that he has quite possibly groomed her. Yes. That was my first instinct is that your daughter may have been exploited or taken advantage of and 
is actually a victim in the situation. It's very different if she's, you know, in her mid to late 20s versus, you know... 18, 19? 18, even, yeah. even, you know, 21, 22, 23. Um, and I think, uh, I don't know if we want to give kind of two alternative... You know what? I think we have enough here that I'm just going to kind of lean into the the side of like, he's been a long-term neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, she's babysat his kids. Definitely within the last five or so years. Mm-hmm. Um, he's lived next door to you for a very long time. Um, he's known her since she was a child. You know, your youngest asked your neighbor, um, when yeah. did you decide to start having sex with a girl you watched grow up? Yeah. The dynamics here are such that I, I, I just don't believe that um, this is simply an issue of two adults in similar yes. stages in life falling in making love. a bad decision. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think, and especially the line, has had an affair. How long has this been going on? Yeah. Like, how old was she when this started? Mm-hmm. Was she babysitting? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, I, I, I just don't think you have a case to be made right now that this is like a, a situation where she is morally culpable in the way that he is. I think the issue yes. here is that your neighbor has taken advantage um, of your daughter's youth and relative inexperience. Um, and I, I, I don't have like a fabulous answer for like, if she is of legal age now, there may be limits on, on how much um, uh like scope you have over the choices that she makes. But I think the thing that you need to bear in mind here is that um, he he is the person who has been abusing his position as mm-hmm. an adult in her life as she was growing up. Yes. I think they have, they, I think, know in their hearts, the parents here, that they need to hold their daughter close in this situation. And I think you know, your relationship with her is almost certainly going to last longer than she may feel she is in a consenting relationship. And and she may, you know, she, even if even if she is a little bit older than we're guessing, and it's still shocking and still feels morally wrong to be having an affair with somebody who's married— even so, even if she is older and more consenting, your relationship with her is almost certainly going to survive her mm-hmm. relationship with this man. And so, you know, my my guidance would be for you to just reflect on how you want to be there for her. Even if, even if family members are disappointed, they think she's made a poor judgment, um, how can you support her? How can you... Um, talk to her, ask her questions about this, be curious about it, you know, ask more questions and judgment is expressed, certainly until you get a better picture yeah. of how long this has been going on. Does it seem like she was groomed? I, especially that that line about it feels like there's a stranger in my daughter's place. Yeah. Especially just given the what seems to be the timeline of all this. It, I, I just got to say, I don't think this happened the day she turned 18. Mm-hmm. Um. I feel like part of the reason she seems like a stranger is because he has had some really, really inappropriate, probably, possibly illegal um, ways of getting in her head at a very formative age and Mm -hmm. convincing her that, like, this is the greatest love story of all time. Mm -hmm. Ours is a forbidden love. Mm -hmm. It's you and me against the world, baby. Mm -hmm. Um, My wife doesn't understand me. You get along so great with the kids. I, I, I realize that I am filling in some of the lines here, but I just... I noticed that there's a lot of like what you're saying to your daughter and there doesn't seem to be anything you've been saying to him. And I get that he's not your kid. You don't have the same scope or or the same like. um, What's the word I'm looking for? Whatever. It's gone. I don't remember the word, but like he is the married adult in this situation. He is the person that you need to be directing a lot of this at. I really appreciated the brother who almost got in a fight with him. I have to say, he was he was like the hero. I, I mean, I don't know that it's like a hero in the sense that like, you know. It, uh, it seemed appropriate. At, at least somebody was directing their attention yes. at the adult married man yes. who is the one breaking his wedding vows yes. and kissing yes. his very young lover, former babysitter in the street in front of his children. Yes. Like, he's the one who fathered those children. Yes. He's the one doing yes. these things. Yes. Um, 
Again, that does not mean that you have to be like thrilled about the choices she's making right now. But he is culpable and 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 is the the damn adult here. Yes. Like you call her your adult daughter. He's an adult. Yes. Let's let's talk to him. So I would say, number one, we're being shunned and gossiped about in your church and your community. Step, you know, step one, your church sucks. <laughs> if your church's response to a married dude oh. um, sleeping with uh, a former babysitter is to shun the parents of the girl, your I church know. sucks ass. I was trying to think of a more tactful way to say that. No, your church sucks ass. <laughs> and I'm sorry because I, I imagine that you would want to feel like you could turn to your spiritual community yes. for help and love and 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 support in this moment. Um, and it, anybody who is shunning you or gossiping about you, they fucking suck. They don't have your best interests at heart. They do not mm-hmm. actively will your good. Yeah. They are not interested in helping you through a painful and difficult time. Yes. Um, they want to point fingers and they want to judge and they want to distance themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so sorry. But right now you are finding out who truly cares about you and do not waste your time and energy on a bunch of religious hypocrites mm-hmm. um, who are judging the family of a very recently teenage girl. Yes. Um, yes. And then, you know. Bring her closer as much as you can. You know, it, she's she has siblings who are not speaking to her anymore. She may be getting shunned by some of her peers. You can be, you can be, a loving presence who she can maybe start to process some yeah. of this with. Yeah. And in the end, I think you will look back and be proud of that. And will never regret continuing to love her through it and to to just ask questions mm-hmm. and let her know she is not going to be shamed or shunned yeah. by her parents yep. about this. And that doesn't mean you have to say, I'm thrilled about this. This makes me happier. This is what I wanted right. for you. Um, but And you can also set limits. Like if she starts yelling at you, you, you know, you can absolutely, even though she's an adult, you can still say, I'm not going to have this conversation when we're shouting. Um, Let's take a break and let's come back and talk again. And I want you to know I am not trying to dominate you. And really, by the way, follow through on that one. Like, I I am not going, I I know I cannot control what you do. I am concerned. Um, I'm worried. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I fear that there are ways in which he has taken advantage of you. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also want to listen. And I want you to know that you have my unconditional love and support. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also want to you to know that if I ask you questions or if I don't approve of or agree with something, that does not mean that I think you are a bad person or unworthy of love. Exactly. Like, can we, with that foundation in place, can we talk? And it might help to have some of these conversations outside of the house. Um, it might mm-hmm. help to go on a long drive mm-hmm. um, or take a walk, mm-hmm. um, go to a nearby park. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes like the site of the home can feel really tense. Um, and it's also really okay for you to say things like, I don't want him coming over here. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a fair limit to set. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think really focus some of these questions on your neighbor um, and really investigate some timeline stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It is possible that he has, uh, you know, done something illegal. And then at that point, you may need to ask yourself the questions of what would it mean to press charges? Mm-hmm. Um, would I be willing to do that if my daughter did not want me to? Uh, I think it might be helpful to seek the advice of a counselor at that point. Like these are some big thorny questions and I don't have a great answer for you. Yeah. I, I would not recommend filing charges against your daughter's wishes, despite what I can only imagine would be the sort of like deep pain of if you were to discover that he had been mm-hmm. grooming and molesting her when she was a minor babysitting his children. But yeah, the way to look at this is not... Um, my daughter is a adult with a totally independent life mm-hmm. who's made a decision I really disapprove of. Mm-hmm. But a man who's known my daughter since she was a little girl, who had her babysit his children fairly recently. You know, if they're teenagers, if one of them's 13, they could have been getting babysat three years ago. You know? Yes. I mean, it's... and. And I don't want the letter writer to negate any of this advice in case we are off by a few years or a few dates, because the reality is what you said is so spot on to say, I'm worried about you, so Mm -hmm. I want to know more. Right. I just want to know. Just tell me more. Get as much information you can. Let her express her feelings. What, you know, what is she, what does she like about this relationship? Where did, you know, does she, does this a relationship he actually wants to invest in. I mean, mm-hmm. let her just talk and get as much information as you can. And if it is a really serious, harmful, traumatizing, illegal thing that has happened here, 
that will come out. Right. And if it wasn't, it's still it's still shocking that he cheated on his wife with a former babysitter. Yeah. Yeah. It's still it's still bad and she still needs she will need help processing this for years. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. And it, yeah, as you say, it, it's certainly possible that this was never illegal, that all he did was really fucked up stuff that stayed on the right side of the law, which would not make what he did anything less than an abuse of power still. Yeah, she may feel guilty. But she may come around in a couple years and the relationship's over and feels really guilty about it, internalizes all of the shame from the community. And she will need you then mm-hmm. as well to um, and so showing up now and, and being an alternative to the shame and right. the shunning, it will help. Especially because if right now everyone else in her life is like, yeah. you are a bad person, yeah. you are a bad, you know, fallen woman um, and he's the only person offering her any love support affection that is going to drive her further into a pretty twisted relationship yes so to anyone you know you know when it comes to the idea of letting an affair continue under your roof you can certainly set limits about whether or not he comes over to the house Mm -hmm. Um, you can certainly make it clear that uh, you know your concern is for his kids for the fact that he did not begin this relationship in honor or in openness, um, that he kept it a secret, that he cheated on his wife, um, that he is um, doing it in front of his children in a way that hurts them. Um, those are all things that you can point out gently and say, um, this gives me deep concern. This worries me. This does not seem like admirable behavior on his part. Mm-hmm. Um, you can say all of those things. Just because she lives with you does not mean that you think everything she does is great. Um, you know, if it were continuing under a different roof, I don't know that you would feel that great so much as you would feel like, well, at least no one's going to shun me anymore. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I, I think see that counselor, ask those questions, set limits in terms of how you guys speak to each other. Um, you know, you can certainly make it clear what you do and don't think is right. And you can also ask questions and save a lot of this judgment for him. Yes. Save all of it for him. Yes. I don't think you would call her your adult daughter in the first line if the adult part wasn't in question. Perfect. Yes. Yes, you're right. Yeah. And I'm just really sorry. I'm really sorry that your neighbor and your friend um, did this. He sounds like a horrible person. And if nothing else, I hope he's not around any of your other kids um, and that you do not feel under any obligation to um, justify any of his behavior or to put her in the bad you know, the bad seat and him in the fine seat. Like, oh, well, he was tempted and strayed. And find a better church. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, Jane, we did it. We did something. We at least talked about all the letters. We talked about the letters, and I feel so much compassion for and awareness that every day people are dealing with really difficult things, and we should be grateful if we wake up and have a day where we are not and use the fact that we are not to to help others who are because this is I'm I mean we need to be conscious of this other is some people. heavy stuff yeah people are dealing with this stuff people are walking around with a lot um, on a regular basis so. yes. Um, I'm so, so glad that you were able to be so helpful on this show um, and remind us once again that um, stretching can be really dangerous if the last time you stretched was 10 years ago when you were going through a really difficult time. (laughs) Thank you, Daniel. (laughs) Anytime, anytime. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, just as a note to all of my listeners, um, Jason Statham's really attractive in the new movie about a giant shark called The Meg. Mm -hmm. And I just want you all to think about that. He wears a lot of big sweaters. That's all. I, I just want everyone to know that there's a movie about a very big shark where a very handsome man wears a lot of sweaters. Well, the entire cast of Crazy Rich Asians is also very attractive. And there's some great sweaters in that movie as well. Those are the two Highly movies I saw last week. Oh, it's supremely good. A right? lot of really good sweater action going on. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a good week for movies. <laughs> um, I will almost certainly see The Meg again. I read the book. <laughs> I, I, the, so the book that it's based on, it's based on a book. How came can out. it be based on a book? It looks so ridiculous. Not only has it, some books are ridiculous. Not only was it based on a book, the book came out in 1997 and got optioned for a movie almost immediately and has been stuck in development hell for the last 21 years. Exactly what I want to hear so before going to see a movie. I have been like since at least 2008 been aware of it and have been like every couple of years I have like a Google alert for okay. the Meg. Oh my um, gosh. And I've been like, 
when is the movie going to come out? And they kept changing the cast or changing who it was attached to. And I just was, I, I really wanted my movie about the giant shark. And it finally happened. And it lived up to your hopes and dreams. Not especially, no. It was oh. not a it was not a great film. But I got what I wanted out of it, which was a giant shark, the word the Meg, um, and Jason Statham running around in big cozy sweaters. Why would he be in a sweater if they're like in the ocean? This makes no well, sense. Well, not like when they were swimming, obviously, but during like when they're on the big expensive uh like science outpost. Um sometimes he'd have to put on a sweater because he'd been swimming and he'd get cold. Oh, and- yeah. He looks good. The man looks good in a sweater. I don't know okay. what to tell you. I was thinking Speedo would be more he, of the he, fashion. He is also sometimes shirtless, which I also enjoyed. Okay. Um, very, very much. He's a good looking man. He rocks a great sweater. And you're hoping that he hears this and sends you a spoon or a bowl. You know. A Meg bowl. I don't know that I need anything from Jason Statham <laughs> in terms of a personal interaction. Just put it out there. Put it uh, out there. I, I, I feel like mostly <laughs> I just want to watch him wear sweaters in movies. But, oh, gosh. Um, you're going to get a sweater in the mail signed by him you I you feel. seem to have like a very optimistic viewpoint about what jason statham does when he hears that people find him attractive i don't think he's out here mailing he may gifts appreciate to also he may appreciate the work that you do as well i really Stay don't tuned. think that he does but Stay i appreciate tuned. the energy that you're bringing to this conversation <laughs> all right i feel like at this point we're done helping the people and now we're just getting involved in my personal issues <laughs> so on that note thank you so much for coming on the show have a fabulous rest of the day thank you for the spoon ah, you're welcome Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.